2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 14 has been our theme verse. Uh, and then, and it really has, has uh, projected us into this series of continuing in God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 14 says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. And we talked about uh, those things as two parts. Number one, continuing in the word of God. And number two, continuing in the work of God. And we said that this first uh, half of the year, of the school year, we're going to be focusing on the Word of God. But before we get into the notes then, let's go ahead and pray. And then uh, when Mr. Show gets back with the notes, we'll hand them out and you can fill them out uh, as we go along, all right? Let's go ahead and pray and ask God to help us tonight. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here tonight. Thank you for every young person that was able to make it. Father, I pray that tonight as we jump into the notes once again, I pray that your spirit uh, would first of all fill me, help me communicate uh, this truth with uh, power, with passion, but Father, more importantly, with clarity so that we might understand your word, understand why it's important to believe your word and know that it is the absolute truth. And then, Father, I pray that you would work on our hearts this evening, open up our minds, take away every distraction that we might have. I know many of the, uh, uh, the, the, the teens here might have a, a test or a quiz tomorrow. I know there's uh, different uh, thoughts in their head about what they got to get done the rest of the week, uh, maybe games and schedules and extracurricular activities and going to people's houses. But, Father, I pray that we would not be thinking about that right now. I ask that you would help us just to focus on what we're wanting to learn about your word. Help us to grow tonight in the knowledge of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, if you need the notes, go ahead and raise your hand. While they're handing them out, I'm just going to go through what we've been learning the last two weeks. We, start, we, we started with this idea of the word of God. How can we trust it? How do we know that it's the absolute truth? And we're going through some facts that are undeniable. And we started from the very beginning, the most basic foundational truths, and that's this. Number one, the meaning of just the word Bible. We said it, the English word for Bible is derived from the Greek word biblion, which means book or roll. And the reason it came into being with that word is because of the papyrus that was used to write the word of God on. And most of you, or if not all of you, should be uh, well familiar enough with history to know that papyrus was the first uh, paper that was used in the history of mankind to record things, and the Bible was no exception. They began to use that uh, on the papyrus as they began to write on it the word of God. Eventually, the plural form Biblia, uh, that Greek word Biblia, was used by Latin-speaking Christians to refer to all the books of the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament combined, all right? The meaning then of, of, uh, of Biblia is that, all the books combined. Then there's another word for Bible that is used, and that's the word scripture. The word scripture comes from the Greek word graphi, which simply means writing okay whoa uh, I, that was my little scooby-doo there um it means writing all right now it was used to describe the old testament writings that were collected and put together in three groups we said the law the prophet 
and the Psalms. The Old Testament of ma- is made up of those three groups, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And we, we talked a little bit about that, the writings, the scriptures, in other words, is the word that the Bible uses and many people use as well. Then we learn that the writings of the Bible are said to be holy. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15, it says that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures or the holy writings, all right? The Bible is not just writings of just stories, but the writings in the Bible are holy. We said that the word holy means to be set apart. It's something that is unique, something that God placed as different from everything else. And we said the Bible is a different kind of book. All right, it's different from any other book in the world. I told you that it is still, even to this day, the number one selling book in the world is the Bible. It's the book that has been translated into the most languages in the world. That is the Bible. And so we find that the Bible is something that is unique. It's different. It's set apart. Now, let me just go through some of the claims. And we talked about this the last two weeks, so I'm going to fly through this material. But the claims of the Bible, uh, around 3,800 times the Bible declares, God said, or thus saith the Lord. We see this in Scripture over and over and over again. The Bible claims itself to be the Word of God. It doesn't say, and Paul said, it says, and God said. We see many times that this declares itself to be the word of God. It is recognized by its writers that it's the Lord's commandments. 1 Corinthians 14, 37 talks of that. And it also is acknowledged by those receiving it as believers. And we are in a generation, this generation in the 21st century, uh, if you are a a person that calls yourself a Christian, that means you must believe that this book is the Word of God. Those that have received Christ uh, as their Savior, the basis for why you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, for why you believe He is the only one that can forgive sins and give salvation, the way we get that is only from this book. It's not because an angel told us. It's not because we had a vision or a dream about it. But it's because the Word of God states that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. It's the Bible that teaches us that by faith we are saved by the grace of God through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. We find that the Word of God teaches us that by faith in Jesus Christ we can have salvation. By faith and faith alone. That includes repenting of our sins and turning to Christ as our Savior, believing on Him. We get all of that doctrine, all of that teaching out of this book. So, let me tell you something. There's two things that would be happening if there's a person that says, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe that that is the Bible. Number one, he's either lying that he's a Christian Or number two, he doesn't understand the truth of the Word of God, that he's probably not someone that has accepted Christ as their Savior. Why? Because we can only base it on what this book says. Those receiving this book know 
that this is the absolute truth and the word of God. Then we talked about the continuity of the Bible, the way it fits together. We said that the divine origin of the Bible is further seen in considering the continuity of its teaching despite the unusual nature of its composition. Uh, We talked a little bit about this, that it's very unique as a religious book, if you want to call it that. When you look at other religions, for instance, as the Quran, we said the Quran was only written by one person, by one individual. And, uh, and we talked about how uh, over the years when, there, used to, when they, be, they began to have different versions of the Quran, then uh, they destroyed all the other versions and they decided that there was only going to be one that was written by one man. All right, That is how the holy book or that set-apart book for the Islamic faith was coming to be. But the Bible was not like that. The Bible had over 40 different authors. They were all from different walks of life. We talked about this. Some of them were uh, prophets. Some were priests. Some were kings. Some were businessmen. Some were doctors. We have all kinds of... In fact, do you know that the majority of the New Testament was written by a doctor, a medical doctor? Paul was not the one that wrote the most of the New Testament. He wrote most of the books of the New Testament. But if you see how much was written, the largest part of the New Testament was written by a doctor by the name of Luke. Luke wrote the book of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And if you put those together, that makes more than 50% of the New Testament. A medical doctor wrote that. You'll notice that as you study the Word of God, over 40 different authors are there everybody from different walks of life, many of them living in different times. Some were uh, in the 7th century B.C., some in the 5th century B.C., some in the 2nd century B.C., some in the 1st century A.D. They were in different times, different cities, different countries, and they all say the same thing. That's incredible. I mean, even in the Islamic Quran, when they men that lived at the same time, they couldn't agree. That's why they had to uh, destroy all other copies that were contradicting it. But the Bible never had that problem. And all that proves is that there has to be a greater author than men. This has to be God's book because men could never replicate this. Every religion that has been man-made religion has tried to, but they never can replicate it. They always find contradictions. They always find something that doesn't agree, but the Bible does not have that problem. Many of the writers, we said, did not know one another. They were not aware of each other's writings. It was written over a period of more than 1,500 years. Yet in all the Bible, there's no contradictions, no inconsistencies, and it's united in its message and harmonious in its stories. It's unbelievable. It's incredible as you study the Bible how all of this is true, and it's not true about any other book other than this book. No other religion can claim that their book has that kind of history. Only the Bible. Then we talked about this at the end of last week, and it was this about divine revelation of the Bible. The divine revelation. Now, we said the word revelation means disclosure or unveiling. In other words, revelation can be defined as God communicating truth that cannot be known in any other way. God communicating truth. For instance, what I am doing tonight by speaking is communicating with you. All right? I'm trying to give you knowledge, and you are receiving knowledge. That constitutes a communication there. 
All right? And so for us to know about God, there has to be communication. There had to be that God reached out to communicate to us of his existence, of who he is. Nobody is born knowing everything about God. In fact, we are born, the Bible said, with our, our minds darkened from God. We don't know. We are alienated from God. But God was the one that first reached out to us. He communicated to us. Now, he did this in two ways. Number one, he did this through what we call general revelation. God communicated to us truths about his nature first. Okay? His nature. Now, when I talk about nature, it talks about, I'm talking about uh, what he is able to do. This God of the Bible. He reveals himself or he communicates about himself, first of all, through what we call creation. All right. Psalms chapter 19 says, hey, if you just look at creation, you know that there's a God. And I talked a little bit about this last week, about how complex our world is. If you just look at the human body, the complexities are far beyond any one person to understand. If you look at our universe, our solar system, if you look at just creation itself, it says there must be a maker. And let me tell you what's so powerful about this argument, about this proof. It is such a powerful proof that there must be a God that those that would deny God's existence, those who we would call humanists that believe that Man has all the answers and not God are so afraid that they won't even allow that argument to be presented in school. You know, if I wanted to go to your school tomorrow and just say, I'm not going to say the God of the Bible. I'm just going to simply say, look at our creation. There has to be a creator. There has to be a maker. There's got to be somebody that made this come to happen. They'll say, you cannot, you cannot say that. You cannot present that. We've got people in court, lawyers right now, that are fighting to try to allow people in school to just give this argument. The argument that there is a creator. They're not even saying the God of the Bible is the creator. We're just saying there is a creator. There's got to be a supreme being. There's got to be someone that made this happen. There's got to be, if you believe, well, it came from a big bang. Well, who caused the bang? Where did that bang come from? We came from a particle. Where did the particle come from? It's called an ontological argument. In other words, everything has something of where it started. Where did that start? Where did creation start? You have to believe that there was a God that started it. Now, I've heard people say, well, then who created God? Or where did God uh, start if that's an argument well if time was created by god right because he created the sun and we tell time by the sun going around the earth okay or the earth going around the sun if we tell time by that then somebody had to create the sun right which we believe is god that somebody has to exist outside of time y you can't have a creator that exists in time because then he didn't create time. You have to have a God that's greater than time so he can make time. 
You have to have a God that's greater than space because he created space. So you can't say, and that's why the Bible teaches, God has no beginning. God, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created. There is no creating of God because God has to exist outside of time, outside of all of creation. He is greater than creation. Creation merely reflects that there is a God. So this is what we call general revelation. All through creation, God reveals to man that there is a creator. Now there's another way there. And the second way, not only in through creation, but a thing called conscience. Now Romans chapter 2 talks about this, and conscience is something that we are all born with. This desire to worship something else. And no matter where you look in our world, young people, you'll find people are worshiping something. If you read the Humanist Manifesto, the humanists, they, they say that they're atheists, that they don't believe that there is a God, they don't believe in God. But if you read their manifesto, and the manifesto is basically a written down um, belief system. So they write down statements, right, sentences that say, we believe this, we believe this, we believe this, we believe this. If you read that, you'll notice that they worship themselves. The central core of humanism is that man has all the answers. So we worship yourself. You have people that are idolaters, that worship idols. There are people that are spiritualists, that worship spirits. You'll find that no matter where you go in our world, mankind is worshiping something. It's in us. That conscience tells us that there is someone that we must worship. It's amazing, even before you became a Christian, when you did something wrong, something told you you were doing wrong. When you told a lie, there was something in you that said that wasn't right. That was a lie. When you stole from somebody, there was something inside of you that said that wasn't right. That's what we call conscience. God put conscience in every human being. Why? To reveal to us that there is a God. Now this is called general revelation. Through general revelation, let me tell you something. You'll learn that there is a creator, that there is a God, that there is a right and wrong. You will learn that through general creation. But you know what you will not learn from general creation? You will not know that Jesus died for your sins. You will not know that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. You will not know through creation what God has done in his redemptive work for us. General revelation doesn't reveal that. So God has a second type of communication that he gave. And this is what we call special revelation. Special revelation. Now, in general revelation, we said there's two ways that God uses general revelation. Number one, through creation, and number two, through our conscience. And in a general way, we know that God exists. But through special revelation, God communicates truth about not his nature, but about himself, about his person. Now, there's two ways that God does this. Number one, the first is Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse 16, the Bible says that God became 
flesh. It says it this way, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. We find there that God became flesh. John 1.14 says, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten son of God. Jesus Christ, the Bible said, became flesh. He took upon himself flesh. In other words, God communicated to us himself by coming to this earth. That's incredible. He took upon himself flesh for the very first time. In all of eternity, God became flesh. He appeared to us in flesh. The second way of special revelation, by the way, by him coming and revealing himself, that's how we knew about the person of God, about the redemptive work. Jesus came and began to um, show us God's plan of redemption. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied of a Messiah, a Messiah, one who was going to take the sin of the world, one who was going to set up a righteous kingdom, a kingdom of justice and righteousness and holiness. And God became flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and came and lived out that plan of redemption. The second way that he communicates truth through special revelation is the Bible. See, God gave the Bible to reveal us His character. It is through this book that we know what righteousness is, what holiness is, what justification is, what redemption is, what forgiveness is. We learn what meekness is about and temperance and love and joy and peace. We learn all of that through the Word of God. So God said, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. And so in order for God to do that, he had to communicate to us. He communicated, first of all, by just creation itself. But then he, he communicated to us through his word. That's why his word is so important, young people. That's why it's not possible to live the Christian life without the Word of God. That's why it's impossible uh, for us to be okay with Christian education, I mean, I'm sorry, with education itself that does not include the Bible. In other words, there is no education, young people, without the Bible. Education is more than 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's more than the scientific facts that we find. Education is knowledge of God. You cannot have an education without the Word of God. And you say, well, I can have a piece of paper, and yes, there's people who have graduated from college, but let me just say, if they don't have a knowledge of the Word of God, their education is lacking severely. They may know about things, but you know what? Why did God give us math? You ever thought about that? Why do we have science and why do we have a brain that can understand that? Have you noticed that the animal kingdom doesn't have that? Maybe you're like me and you've noticed that on the road sometimes there's just dogs that have gotten run over. And what happens is the dog cannot reason that this uh, highway here is very, very dangerous. 
Animals have what we call instinct. They live by instinct. They don't have reason. A dog cannot worship God. A, God, a dog cannot understand the word of God. They don't have that ability. But God gave us human beings that ability. Why? Why did he give us science and history and language? Why? The whole purpose, young people, is so that we can get to know him. Like I said, there really is no true education without the word of God. Because that's all that it's all about. The Bible says, for him, all things were created and for him. That in Christ, he might have the preeminence. Young people, the minute that you can understand it's all about him is the minute that you begin to have real education in your life. Everything of this world and life is all about him. One day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It doesn't matter if you declare yourself to be atheist or not. You will one day kneel before God. That's what it's all about. It's not about us. We live in a world that's so twisted, young people, that the philosophy of this world is it's all about us. But it's not. It's all about Him. The secret to finding real joy in your life is realizing that fact, that truth. It's not about me. It's about Him. When you realize that life is all about Him, then you have a lot less probability of taking your own life. You have a lot less probability to do drugs. You have a lot less probability to Sleep with someone outside of marriage. Why? Because it's not about you and what you want. It's about him and who he is. It's so important. The word of God. Absolute truth. Young people, it's important that we believe that and understand why it is that way.